the Sunday Sermons Podcast. I know that there's actually a scale here. There's nobody that fits in a little tiny hole on this, but how many like to play games at your house? Like, like to play card games, board games? Okay, most people. Okay, how many know that there is any time around a table that you're playing a game, there's diversity in how to approach rules? Do you understand? Everybody knows this? Okay. So I know that there's, it's, it's a spectrum, but we're going to divide it just in two. How many lean? Raise your hand if you lean further on. Can we just play the game? We'll figure it out as we go. Where are those people at? All right. There you go. There you go. We love you guys. They're always there. How, how about the people that, that, uh, that you lean further on? Let's not get any of the pieces out until we've read the instructions. And I'm going to hold the instructions. And you guys better listen because this is, this is how, raise your hand. Okay, you guys can give a little thumbs up or something online. Let's just this how. And we need everybody. That's the beauty of how God creates everything. There's always diversity. But here, here's the thing. Those of us who are on the, hey, can we just play side? Here's one of the things that we need to be careful of. At some point, it's not even the game anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? You're having a good time. But you're not really playing that game. You're just making up your own game, right? So we got to be careful about that. And on the other side, the people, those of us, and I'm not sure it was this way. I'm just walking. But those of us who are all about the rules, we got to remember it's called playing a game for a reason, right? <laughs> it's supposed to be fun. And, and, and we need each other. And this is how this works. Today we're talking about what uh, the Three Rivers Collective calls healthy scale. It's a college term that means measuring what matters and measuring what matters in a way that actually keeps you on track. Here's how they put this. Transformative churches, which I hope is getting clearer as these weeks go by in this series called Game Changers. I hope it's getting clearer and clearer that that needs to be every church. It's not really a church if it's not a transformative community. Transformative communities intentionally embody an agreed upon set of core values and a shared purpose that enables them to grow in healthy, lightweight, and sustainable ways. Their organic systems and rhythms and practices produce health and movement on an individual church level. These are low in control but high in accountability. They enhance mission, not hinder it. They're movemental rather than institutional in nature. Any great franchise knows how this works. Uh, do you remember a while back, there was, a, what did they call that? The chicken sandwich war? Does this ring a bell to anybody? Okay, and everybody knew that they were all playing for second place against Chick-fil-A the whole time, right? Everybody knew this. And it, because no matter who could, maybe somebody likes the McDonald's chicken sandwich better than Chick-fil-A, but it, here's, if you go to Chick-fil-A, it's not just a chicken sandwich, right? You know what I'm talking about. It's everything's decorated in red and white. There's cows that can't spell very well. And hey, they're literate. I'm impressed just by that. But somebody's going to say, my pleasure. And it's going to be very clean. And you might as well not even try and go on Sunday. It's never going to be open on Sunday. Are you following me on this? You know it's Chick-fil-A. You know how you know? You know how they keep on track? They measure all that stuff. They're constantly evaluating. That, how, can we do this faster? Can we do this more efficiently? Can we get it even cleaner? Can we smile even bigger? They're constantly doing that, and that's why we know that we've arrived at Chick-fil-A when that happens. When my boys were growing up, uh, we participated in ASO soccer. Anybody else ever, ever do that? 
love the organization. ASO is a great organization. It's a wonderful, non-competitive way to introduce children to all of the skills of soccer. Everybody gets to take turns. You rotate through. It's not about who's best. Everybody gets to be goalie. Everybody gets to do that. Here's the problem. It's not soccer. <laughs> Trust me on this. I grew up in a country where soccer is like all of the sports in America put together, okay? You got to keep score. <laughs> you got to keep score. And, and the, kid, the one kid who's good at being a goalie needs to be the goalie. Does this make sense? It, it, it's, not, it's not soccer anymore. It, it's a wonderful thing. It's a fun thing, but it's not the game. And this is the danger that we always have, even in the church, is at some point or another, we either get so bogged down in the rules or we just start winging it way too much and, and we measure or care about the wrong things and eventually we get off track and don't even realize it. Is this, am I the only one that kind of feels that way sometimes? In fact, cosmically, and by that I mean across the entire church, not just Morrison Hill, but one of the most tragic things that's happened is we've kind of flipped the script of the gospel almost entirely over the centuries. If you're not an actual true Christian who reads your Bible and constantly are following Jesus and know better, you might believe from what's gotten out, what's kind of bled out from all of us, that here's the gospel. You might believe this, and that is... If you're really good, if you do more good things than bad things, your good things list is longer than your bad things list, God might forgive you for the bad things, and you get to go to heaven when you die. Have you ever heard this before? Is that what the Bible teaches? No. How about this one? Here's a slightly modified version of that. God knows we can't totally be good enough on our own, and so he sent Jesus, and so Jesus is going to forgive us of all our sins, and that way we get to go to heaven when we die. Ever heard that one? Is that really the gospel? It's not the whole gospel. We've got to flip that script around. The way Jesus tells the story is that he knew that we needed his help, so he came into this world. He took action when we didn't deserve it. He did everything so that we could have grace, we could have mercy, we could have forgiveness, so that we would get some stuff done. The script has to completely flip. He asked us to be born again. He, here's, let's read it out straight out of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. We can have it up on the screen. You can read along with me out loud or just watch or whatever you want. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Excuse me, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. This is all awesome, right? We're all on board, but there's more. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages 
he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We've been looking at that last one several times. I wanted us to explore it one more time in context because we've got to remember all of it. We're tracking so far. Is this making sense? I hope. Praise God. So what do we measure? What do we measure? If we're going to have a healthy scale, what do we measure? There's some things that we all know are important. If we came in here and everything was just filthy, that it'd be dangerous and so distracting, it wouldn't be that fun. We need to clean our church. There's nowhere in the Bible that actually says you have to, but we all agree we need to, right? And I can go along, down a long list of things that are necessary, but not necessarily biblical. But the most important things, if nothing else, they're the reason that we do the other things, are straight out of the Bible. And one of those that's consistent all the way through is that God wants his people to reach all nations. He doesn't want us to just do our own little thing in a little box somewhere and be so separate. We are set apart to reach all nations. This has been clear since the beginning. Genesis 18, 18, where God is calling Abraham for the first time and starting up what we now know as Israel, the nation of Israel, the Hebrews, the people of God. He says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. And Psalm 67 says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. A lot changed when we got to the New Testament area and Jesus showed up, but this did not. Here's some of the words of Jesus Christ himself. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Or how about this one? All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. If you missed that a couple weeks ago, you should go back and read all three stories in Matthew 25. And, re and remember that those tell exactly what we're exploring together. We don't have a right to be the bridesmaids at the wedding or the servants of the rich person or the sheep or goats in the flock of the shepherd without his grace and mercy. But once we're given those opportunities, he expects something from us. But again, it's all nations, even the Great Commission. It's not going to be up here, but you've heard this one before. Jesus' parting words to us when he went back up to heaven was, Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded, and I will be with you always, even to the end 
of the age. So one of the questions, obviously, that we should always be asking ourselves is, are we reaching everybody? Are we partnering with people who are reaching not only people in the, what we would call nations, individual countries around the world have a government and an economy and whatever else, but also the biblical definition, any distinct group of people. They might be the people that live three streets away from you. They might be people that look differently than you. They may be, who knows? But if they're a distinct group of people, they count as one of these nations and we're supposed to be reaching them. Are we doing that? Do they know that they'd be welcome here? Have we invited them and that's how they know? Are we reaching out and getting to their territory and just blessing them where they are? All nations. That's one of the things we've constantly got to be doing. Here, here's, I think I missed saying the point out loud. It's actually one great big sentence. If you've got your sermon um, outline slash Bible study with you, notice that the three main points are actually three um, parts of one big long sentence. First one is this, we must embody God's values and purposes. Not just say we believe them, We've got to embody them. They've got to define us. And how do we do that? Here's the second one. This is where we're at right now. With systems and rhythms and practices. Let's say this whole thing together. There's a little bit more at the end, but let's say it this far. We must embody God's values and purposes with systems, rhythms, and practices. Let's talk about what those are. Systems are ways that we keep ourselves on track, ways that we communicate, ways that we all know that we're going the same direction. If, you, if you're a musician, you may or may not know how to read music, but you probably at least know the fundamentals, which is basically all I know about this. But if, you do, if you're not, you'll be able to understand this if I can, because this is not the part of music I really get. But those lines and spaces in between the lines, those represent notes, and all the horizontal things represent the rhythms and so, however, where those spots are and however all the other details tell us where the notes are and how long you play that note. That's a system. We can understand that. And if somebody's trying to talk to each other, it's like a language. We understand how this works. In, in, in the church, the systems are the ongoing team strategies. These are the things that we kind of say, so, so here's how we're going to do that. How are we going to reach all nations, for example? These are the ways that we reach out. These are the missionaries we support. These are the local missions that we support. These are the things we do as individuals, things we do as a church to just randomly help people and to try to cross barriers that have been built over time. This is how we do that. At Morrison Hill, most of our systems we call ministries. Ever heard this term before? We've got a ministry. We've got a worship ministry. We've got a welcome ministry, a prayer ministry. We have a marriage ministry. And I, I believe in these. I am so passionate about these because this is the stuff that this is how that gets done. If every single week we just had to say, hey, you know what? We're supposed to be like, I think we should welcome people. How could we do that? We'd never get anywhere. That's why we have a team of people that do that every single Sunday. Is this making sense? That's the system. Here's the second thing is a rhythm. In, in music, the rhythm is what keeps you on beat. It's the drums and the bass and the, everybody else is playing along with the rhythm too. You mostly hear that, but it's what makes a song a song. How, 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 many, know, how many know this rhythm just without me even singing anything? If you've ever been to a football game, you know that's We Will Rock You, right? 
okay? And, and the, the rhythm is what keeps everybody else synced in. That, that's not the whole thing. That one of the reasons, if, if all We Will Rock You was was that, nobody liked this song, you know? It's got the, it's got the, Danny was a young boy, it's the whole thing. Anyway, but rhythms are the tangible patterns that keep everything moving in the right direction. They're the things that happen over and over. They keep coming back around like the chorus of a song. They're the things that we say, hey, we've got to make sure that we're still getting this done. No matter what else new we try, what else we might change or stop doing altogether, these things have to come back around. For example, communion, giving, and walking through God's word together and expecting to change on the other side of that. Praying, singing to God, fellowshipping together making time at least once a week to be in a big group of Christians and go in the same direction and then sometime during this same week to get in a smaller group of Christians that are holding you accountable and then hopefully daily spending some time with God. These things come back around. Yeah, things in, on the calendar. If you hadn't noticed, God just really likes these kind of things. Call them rhythms, call them cycles, call them anything. You, there, there's a heartbeat. There's seasons, you know? So, I mean, some places in the world have just two. Some have four. Tennessee has, I think, 37, I think. But wherever, where there's rhythms, there's stuff. It comes back around. And Lent, a lot of people are still working on that. We're heading up to Palm Sunday and Easter. And we, we remember every Sunday that Jesus died and came back to life. But there's these extra memory times where we come back around. We have birthdays. We, thank, thank God you're, you're alive every day. But, but we have birthdays. Does this make sense? We come back around and the rhythms are the things that we go, this has to happen all the time. Is it happening all the time? Did we forget to tell you we love you? Did we forget to tell you that we're glad you're alive? Happy birthday, dude. You know what I'm saying? It has to happen. If you were ever gonna run a marathon, there's a couple people in here that have done that. You know this. It's not just a one-time deal, right? I mean, you might just run one marathon, but you got to train. You got to have some systems. You got to have some rhythms. You're going to work on this. But on game day, and probably at other times too, you're not just going to have the people closest to you that support you in this. You're going to have a bunch of random strangers you've never even met before that are also going to team up because they also want to get this marathon thing to happen. You got somebody, people you've never seen before, standing by the side of the road, handing you water and stuff. If you go by, or ever been? Who's been in a marathon? Look at you guys go. Have you ever have you ever watched one at least? Okay, you, okay. Maybe I won't spend very much time on this if nobody knows how this works. <laughs> but somebody slaps a number on your chest. You get a T-shirt, and I could go on and on. There's so many layers of this, and all these people have decided. This marathon needs to happen. They don't know who you are or anything, but they've all agreed we're going to make this happen. Those are partnerships, okay? Nobody, nobody, you don't have to agree with them about anything except this marathon needs to happen, right? But buddy, that marathon's going to happen because everybody teamed up. But the deeper idea of practices for us as Christians, and the way we need to talk about it this morning is this. Practices are what we do. It's just what we do all the time. They are the intentional actions, the intentional practice, the things we do all the time. Kind of like how you would say that a doctor is practicing, which always just makes me giggle and kind of go, I wish they just, let me know when they're really good and I'll go visit them. 
you know, if they're still practicing, I'm not sure, no, okay. Few people got that. But seriously, what that really means in the medical world is you're actually doing what you're supposed to be doing. If you are a practicing doctor, that means you're doctoring, right? And this is what, that's the sense that this is. Our practices, the things that anybody looking in with no context at all, they just see what we do. Those should be embodying the things of Jesus that he considers non-negotiable. And the sad thing is sometimes, I'm not judging Morrison Hill or anybody else, I'm just saying sometimes the things that we communicate, some of the things that we are known for as the church, capital T, capital C, are not always the things of God. Here's an example from history that just haunts me. There's a guy named George Whitefield. He was known as America's evangelist because he preached a revival in 1740 that so many people came to Christ then in that one revival as he worked his way across the nation. They called it the Great Awakening. Anybody ever heard of this before? Okay. And he did a lot of great things. He started an orphanage. Um, and all of his proceeds from his stuff went to that orphanage. He did a whole bunch of other things, and he was known for that. And he got a, that gave him a podium to stand on, if you will. That gave him a place where people said, oh, that's what Christians look like. He did a lot of great things, and he said a lot of great things, and a lot of people were Christians today because their great-great-grandparents were led to Christ by him. And that's cool, right? We good? But here's some other things that he did. He was active in trying to make there be more humane treatment of slaves. This is 1740, if you remember. He didn't try to abolish it. In fact, he owned 50 slaves of his own, and he was the single most influential person to make sure that slavery got legalized in the state of Georgia. He started churches for the slaves, run by the slaves, so that they could come to Jesus because he did care about them, but he kept them separate. There are a lot of people who they hear the name George Whitefield and that's all they know. It's all they remember. And they not only think that about him, they think that about us because he was a church guy. He was a Christian guy. Very influential Christian guy who did a lot of really good things. There's a lot of people in our country today that they hear George Whitefield, they go, oh yeah, the slave guy. The, 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 the guy that got slavery legalized. The guy that really started us down a path of having separate churches. I don't want to have that kind of legacy, y'all. Not for me and not for our church, not for that church, the global church. I don't want to have that kind of legacy. And the only way we can keep from it, because George Whitefield apparently was a much better preacher than me. He was apparently much more of a go-getter or something. I mean, if you get that many people follow you in any direction, wow, he must have been something else. But my goodness, how do you get that far off track? You need to be measuring the right things. You need some accountability. You need some people around you. You need some to constantly saying, does this look like Jesus' church? 
Does this look like the kind of place that's reaching all nations equally at the same time? There's a whole bunch of other questions we're supposed to be asking, too. First John's all about love, and there's so many different other things. I, I could never go through all the ways. But the point is today, if we don't get anything else, please hear this. We've got to, let's, let's put it on the screen. Let's say this together one more time. Say the whole sentence together. Here we go. We must embody God's values and purposes with systems, rhythms, and practices that build Christ's church. Not ours, not our orphanage that we started and cared about, not any other random thing, but Christ's church. But to do that, it's going to make sure that we actually have to answer some very specific questions along the way. For example, who is going to go into all the world? Who's going to send them? Who's going to support them? Who's going to actually go? And where are you going? And where am I going right here, right now? Who are you reaching out to right here, right now, today, and later on this week as we spread out and we reach the whole world together? Are we making disciples? Jesus said we've got to make disciples. That doesn't even mean people just showing up. That means people who their lives are defined by this. Remember the script has been flipped back. We're trying to flip it back. He forgives us. He offers mercy and grace so that we can die to ourselves and get the Holy Spirit living in us and spend the rest of our lives accomplishing his will on this plan. That's why we can't miss any of those things. We can't just justify our sins and just say, well, you know, Jesus forgives me and keep on going. We've got to be defined by things. So we say who, what, when, where, how. We already know why. Are we baptizing people? It's been a little while. We're still doing it, but it's been a little while. Are we literally and metaphorically baptizing people? That means totally immersing ourselves and each other into God's purposes. Are we teaching each other to obey all the things that he commanded? Not just teaching, teaching to obey. Are we expecting his presence? Are we expecting the spirit? Are we listening to the spirit? Are we responding to the spirit? If we're not hearing him, do we know how to use the spiritual disciplines and all the other tools he's been giving us so we get back in sync with him again? Are we doing that every time we kind of get out of sync? We've got to stay on track. We've got to measure those things. I'm going to wrap up with one more image. It's kind of a two-part image, and uh, we're going to give you a chance to respond, as we always do. Imagine that the whole church is a big bottle, big plastic bottle. One thing that always has to be happening is we've got to have a funnel stuck into the top of that bottle, or at least periodically, okay? You'll see why I said periodically in a second. But there's got to be a way that we've got a wide reach. It's really easy for people to realize that we're opening our arms and asking people to come into where we are, and, and we're asking them, everybody's invited. It's really easy to capture anybody. Anybody can come. And it's constantly, we're doing things that are that funnel. We're doing things that are reaching out and trying to make a difference in the world. But also then you have to take that, where it gets kind of full, and you take it out and you put something else on top of that bottle and that's a spray gun. We're constantly also sending people out. 
sending love out, sending prayers out, sending money out, sending energy out, sending some sort of an attempt to build the kingdom of God out. Put the funnel back in, put the thing on. All day long we're doing both actually, but does this make sense? And if we only do one, it's not enough. You can't just pick one. They both have to happen. Because it's his church. It's not ours. We have to embody the things that Jesus told us to do with things that we do all the time, over and over and over again, so that we actually build his church. This morning, we're going to do things just a little bit differently. One of the things you're going to see in a second is we've got one of the ministries that we partner with is going to come and present what they do. Um, But first, this is your chance to respond. Here's another thing I'm going to do different. If you feel like coming forward, you just like to pray, please feel free to do that. You can call these stairs, the stage, the altar, call it what you want if you feel a need to do that. And we've got some people that would love to come and just pray with you and help you out. But normally I stand over here and try to worship and try to keep my mind on everything else. And some people don't like coming forward. So today I'm going to try something else. I'm going to go to the back. I'm going to be worshiping back there. But if you've got a choice that you need to make today and you want to make that public, come back there. I'll talk to you back there and nobody has to see it. It's not going to be on camera. Hello, internet. All right? Let's make some choices in the direction of Jesus this morning.